Hi, everybody. Welcome to the book of Job. Uh, we're in chapter 10. So once again, I'm going to ask you, please make sure you have the book of Job in front of you. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, you can either look in a, a real Bible or you can look at an electronic Bible. But you need Job chapter 10 in front of you. And I know this has been a, a, a sober series. It's weighty stuff we're dealing with. Uh, but we want to hear what God has to say to us. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, to speak to us through the words of the book of Job. Let's pray. Please, Father, we turn now to, well, an ancient piece of writing. And it's not happy, fluffy, bouncy. It's heavy. It's dealing with the calamities of life, the weighty bad things that happen. But in times like these, we, we're not afraid. We want to ask hard questions. We want to explore and listen. But above all else, we want to know the truth. Please help us to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had a fight with God? You ever had a real wrestle with God? And I, and I don't mean a fight against God. I, I, I don't mean that. <clears throat> I don't mean the kind of struggle where does God really exist or not? Or is God good or not? Those, those kind of fights are not with God. That's a fight you're having with yourself. Uh, uh, you can't fight with God if you're not sure he exists or not. Uh, you can't fight with someone you don't know. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about fighting with God when you really believe him, when you know him, when you trust him, but you just don't understand what he's doing. That's the kind of fight I'm talking about. Wrestling with God. When you don't understand what he's doing, and, and, and what he's doing just doesn't seem right to you. How can this be good? And you fight with God. That's the kind of fight with God I'm talking about. And you look at the world and you go, why? Why? That's the struggle with God that I'm talking about. Let me tell you about a guy who fought with God so much that he actually got the name, the one who fights with God. His life was so characterized by fighting with God that his name was the one who fights with God. Uh, in Hebrew, you would say Israel, Israel, the one who fights with God. His name was Jacob. But because he fought so much with God, God changed his name to the one who fights with God. Now, let me tell you about Jacob. <clears throat> it's a true story. It's in the Bible, and, and it gets very interesting. Jacob was a shonky. Now, uh, do you know what a shonky is? Well, I just learned, you know, I try and learn a new Australian word all the time. And my new Australian word is shonky. And what a shonky is, is someone who's dodgy and devious, conniving, scheming, always wheeling and dealing, always trying to squeeze the most out of life. And that's who Jacob was. Have you ever seen the series um, 
Well, maybe you have. Better call Saul. Better call Saul. That guy reminds me of Jacob. That's what Jacob was like. And you, you can't really blame him in one way because Jacob grew up in the shadow of his older brother. So his older brother was big. He was hairy. He was muscular. He was a hunter. He was the captain of the local footy team. His dad was very proud of him. He was his dad's favorite because he was big and strong. Jacob, or, or as he later came to be called, the one who fights with God, Jacob grew up in the kitchen and he was always around his mum. He couldn't even grow a beard. He was a smooth man. All he could do was live by hustling in the shadow of his bigger, stronger brother. His brother loved the outdoors. Jacob loved the indoors. And so he learned to hustle and lie and trick and deceive. So he lied and deceived his brother. And then he lied and defrauded his old man while he was old and blind. I mean, how, how's that? Take advantage of someone who's blind. And that's what Jacob did. He deceived his own father. And so he runs away. And he's always on the run. And he runs away to a foreign land after he's defrauded his old man. And he has this strange dream about God. And even when he has this dream about God, he starts to hustle and wheel and deal. So he says to God, if you bless me materially and you give me lots of stuff, I'll strike a deal with you. I'll give you 10% of everything. Wheeling, dealing, always materialistic, always conniving, always scheming. So off he goes into a foreign land to hustle and make a living. He meets two women. One of them is a beautiful, <clears throat> uh, just a dependable, reliable personality. And the other one is just a babe, hot. And Jacob falls for the hot one. He falls in lust. And so he goes after the beautiful woman. And, uh, well, his whole, look, I'll cut a long story short. But he defrauds his employer. He wheels, he deals. He ends up running away with, with his employer's daughters. Always just running, running, running. <clears throat> so his life is just this. And he gets rich. He gets very rich. Uh, because we know most cheaters prosper in this life. That's a fact. Cheetahs do prosper, and most of them prosper in this world. And he ends up with two wives, two mistresses, 11 kids, lots of servants, and lots of stuff. But <clears throat> he's living very far from God. And he has a, how long can you keep running from God? How long do you keep running from God? And he burns all his bridges, and he decides to head back home. And here's where it gets interesting. Because on his way home, he starts making plans about how to ingratiate himself with the brother that he cheated. So he makes all these cunning plans. He's a real coward because he sends his wives and his mistresses and his children and all his stuff ahead. I gather so that if his brother, his bigger, stronger brother starts to get mean, He'll attack them and he can run away. You know, he's always got schemes. Anyway, he comes to this river. He sends everything ahead of him. And Jacob is left absolutely alone. And it's funny how life is like that. Sometimes you run and you end up in a circle back where you started. He's at that exact spot in the side of a river 
where he long ago had a dream about God. And as he sits there, now this isn't in the Bible, this part. I wonder if he doesn't start thinking about his whole life. My whole life. I've just been running and dealing and wheeling. and You know, I just wonder because, well, he's got nothing with him. They've all gone over the river ahead of him. And sometimes life's like that. When you lose everything, you stop and think. And that's what's happening to Jacob. And so he sits there thinking, where's all my running got me? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I met. But anyway, here's what happens. God interrupts him. God comes to him. And God and Jacob fight. They fight. They wrestle all night long. They wrestle. Intense struggle. Jacob is wounded. He has his hip displaced. Now, that sounds very painful to me. It never happened to me. But he's in utter agony. His hip is out of its socket. And he fights with God. And, and if you fight with God, it's going to hurt. Guaranteed. And it hurt Jacob badly. But Jacob won't let God go. He won't let God go. He's in this agony. He's suffering. But he clings to God. He's not fighting against God. Get away from me. He's hanging on to God and wrestling with God. He's not like, well, that's it. You hurt me. If you're going to play rough, I, I don't want to deal with you. You know, I'm out of here. No, white knuckles. He clings to God. I won't let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. That's the kind of fighting I'm talking about. And so God gives Jacob the best blessing you can get. Promises. Promises. And for the rest of his life, oh, I just closed my notes, but I'll find it again. For the rest of his life, Jacob ends up limping. Here is a guy who used to run, run, run. God touches him and for the rest of his life, he ends up limping. That's what happens when you meet God. You carry scars for life. And Jacob carried scars for life. Never, think about it. For the rest of his life, he would never run again. He'll never run again. He limps for the rest of his life. He spent his whole life running. Now he can't run. But there's a massive difference. In his pain, in his scars, in his disability, God is with him every limp of the way. That's the massive difference. Now the reason I begin like that is because that's what's happening to Job. That's what's happening. Job is a man who is having a fight with God. Job is struggling with God. And like Jacob, Job is all alone. He's lost everything. He's sitting alone. But unlike Jacob, Job is innocent. He's blameless. But what does Job do? What does Job do? Like Jacob, Job won't let God go. He clings to God. 
in his suffering, in his misery, he clings to God, white knuckle. He's not like, well, that's it. You know, my life didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. So I'm giving up on God. He's not like, well, that's it for me. You know, uh, where's the atheistic Facebook group so I can post how I grew up in a Christian home and I played in the youth band and I was a worship leader and I suffered and so I don't believe in God anymore. He's not that childish. He clings to God. In fact, Job in his suffering turns not from God, but to God. Job takes the fight to God. Job says to God, let's do this. You and me, let's do this. All night long, I'm not going to let you go. And what we're going to do now in Job chapter 10 is we're going to watch the fight. And we're going to discover an amazing thing. Look at this. When we fight with God, we find life. That's what happens to Job. When we fight with God, we find life. Not against God, but with God. Watch what happens in Job. First of all, look at Job chapter 10, verse 1. Job begins, I loathe my life. <laughs> I hate my life. Can you believe these are in a religious book? <laughs> Just shows you how real the Bible is. This is not gobbledygook. This is real. I hate my life. We're going to come back to those words because they're very important. But that's how Job starts. Have you ever felt like this? I hate my You ever look at your life and say, this is not what I chose. This is not what I chose. You ever look at your life and say, when I meet God, I'm going to ask for a refund. Because that product sucked. I hate my life. But here's what Job does. He hates his life, but he pours it out to God. He pours it all out to God. Look at verse 1. I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I'm not saying prayers. I'm not reading the prayer book. I'm just vomiting. I'm letting it all out to God. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Look at this. I will say to God. See, he's taking the fight to God. He's praying. He hasn't stopped praying. On the contrary, his suffering has made him pray more. And now he's fighting. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Job pours it all out to God. Let me know why. He goes to God for the answers. And he's got three burning issues in this chapter. Number one, why do you oppress me knowing I'm just a man? Why do you oppress me? You know I'm just a man. Have a look with me at verse three. Does it seem good to you uh, and the reason we start at verse 3 uh, is because that's when he's now praying. He's talking to God. And he says, does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? God, are you having fun? Do you enjoy hurting me? Do you enjoy seeing me suffer? Why do you oppress me? This is what Job cries to God. Verse 4 and 5. 
Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man? Or your years as a man's years? Wow, this is so important. What's Job saying? He's saying, God, you can't relate. You don't get it. You don't know how hard it is down here. You've got nothing to do like that lucky old son, but roll around all day. You don't know how hard it is down If you were ever a slob on the bus like one of us, but you don't know. God, if you ever became a man and suffered a bit, then you would know. Actually, more. If you ever became a man and suffered, then I would know you care. That's what Job's saying. Or maybe it's just my sin. Maybe, God, you're getting me back for all the wrong things I've done. Look at verse 6 and 7. That you seek out my iniquity and you search for my sin. Although you know that I'm not guilty and there's none to deliver out of your hand. Job's not, Job never claims to be sinless. But what he's saying is I'm blameless. What's happening to me is not for anything I've done. He's saying to him, God, if you, are you just holding my sins against me? You're going over and over and over and you won't let it go. Someone else captured verse 6 and 7 in these words. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who would stand? If God is against you, who can be for you? If God remembers every little thing you did, well, look, how are you going to survive? But notice Job is praying. He's wrestling with God. He's seeking God. He's clinging to God. He's questioning God. As someone once put it, here is faith seeking answers and understanding. Not unbelief seeking justification. Job says to God, why do you oppress me? Knowing I'm just a man. Second thing he takes to God is this. Why did you make me? Knowing you were going to destroy me. <laughs> like what's the point of that? Why did you make me? Knowing you were going to destroy me. Look at verse 8. Your hands fashioned and made me. And now you've destroyed me altogether. What was the point of that? Look at verse 9. Remember you made me like clay. And will you return me to the dust? What was that all about? But Job, notice though, even though he's wrestling with God, notice Job knows life, existence, was a gift from God. I'm not here by accident, says Job. This sucks. But I'm not here by accident. Look at verse 10 and 12. Did you not pour me out like milk and Curdle me like cheese. This is poetry about how the embryo develops, etc. You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knitted me together with bones and, and sinews. Job saying, I know you made me. I know I am the work of your hands. But what's the point if you're just going to... It's like making a little clay something. You spend so much time, oh, look how pretty. And then you squish it up. I mean, why are you doing this, God? So you can only fight with God when you know he made you. If you're an accident, don't fight with anyone. Don't be upset. You're just an accident. 
But if you know God made you, you've got reason to fight. You can go to him and say, what? But of course, Job knows that everything comes from God. Look at what he says. You granted me life and steadfast love. And your care has preserved my spirit. Yet these things you hid in your heart. And I know that this was your purpose. It's, it's amazing. In all his agony, Job is not saying there's no purpose. What he's saying is, I don't know the purpose. Only you do. And why are you doing it like this? It's amazing how he recognizes God's steadfast love. Even in agony. See, even those who reject God are surrounded by God's steadfast love and kindness. Existence is a gift from God. Life is a, the very brains that we're using to ask questions are God's gift. If you, in bad thinking, should think through things and become an atheist, you're using the brains God gave you. Everything comes from his love and kindness. But the fight carries on. The fight carries on. The problem is it's a fight we can't win. Look at what Job says, verse 14. If I sin, you watch me, and you don't acquit me of my iniquity. And if I'm guilty, verse 15, woe to me. And it doesn't matter, because even if I'm right, look at verse 15. If I'm in the right, I cannot lift up my head, for I'm filled with disgrace, and you look upon my affliction. Job says, this is a fight I can't win. So what, what, what must I do? He's so frustrated. Why did you make me knowing you're going to destroy me? Look at verse 16, uh, 17. You renew your witnesses against me. You increase your vexation towards me. You bring fresh troops against me. Can you see the fight? Please forgive me. I know I've said this so many times. But notice, the devil has got nothing to do with it. You don't find Job fighting the devil. You don't see Job saying, I rebuke you, Satan. You don't see Job saying, if only I had more faith, I would be healed. None of that nonsense. Job's fight is with God. Because you know why? That's all real Christians ever care about. We don't care about the devil. We don't care about real Christians. Only care about God. And so Job takes the fight to God. Thirdly, so why do you oppress me knowing I'm just a man? Why did you make me knowing you were going to destroy me? And finally, why can't you just let me die in peace? Why can't you just let me die in peace. Look at verse 18. Why did you bring me out of the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me. By the way, that's all the way back to verse 1. I hate my life. I wish I was never born. Please, just let me die. Just let me die. And let me die in peace. Look at verse 19. And whereas thou had not been carried from the womb straight to the grave. Look at verse 20. Are not my days few? Then cease. Stop hurting me. 
Leave me alone that I may find a little cheer before I go, and I shall not return to the land of darkness and deep shadow, the land of gloom, like thick darkness, like deep shadow, without any order, where light is as thick darkness. Those words are very clever, really. They actually reflect Genesis 1. Death is decreation. Death is uncreation. Death is the reversal of creation. Basically, Job is saying to God, undo what you've done. Undo me. It's amazing how chapter 10 ends. What's the last word in chapter end? Chapter, last word in chapter. What's the last word at the end of chapter 10? Darkness. Just thick darkness. Why can't you let me die in peace? So here is Job crying out, suffering, agony, broken hearted. Stripped of everything, without a clue, blameless, in deep, thick darkness. So is God going to answer? Does a prayer like this get answered? Is that it? Is he going to scream and cry out into darkness and there's going to be nothing but thick darkness? And the atheists are going to be saying, Dude, shut up. There's nobody there. Dude, who are you praying to? Talk to the tooth fairy. Is there no answer? Did God answer? Did God answer this prayer? And the answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. God answered Clearly, God answered emphatically. God answered every single question that Job raised in this chapter. God answered emphatically. In the darkness, light dawned. Light shone into the darkness. And the answer that God gives was not just intellectually satisfying, which it is, but it was heart satisfying. The answer God gave was sweeter and better than anything Job could have dreamed of. Look with me at chapter 10. Look at God's answer. Chapter 10 verse 4 and 5. Look at what Job says. Have you got eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Think about that. Job is saying to God, you can't relate. You don't understand. Look at verse 5. Are your days as the days of a man? Are your years as a man's years? Job is saying to God, you're not here, but think. What's the answer? God became a man. God answered. He didn't just answer in words. God did something. In history, the Word became flesh. God became a man. 
And when God became a man, he didn't come in comfort and riches. He was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. See, Jacob was alone at night. Job was in the darkness alone. And when God became a man, there is Jesus alone in the garden. There is Jesus absolutely alone, abandoned by everyone, fighting with God, wrestling with God. But look at verse 6. When God became a man, when God had eyes like a man, when God had flesh like a man, when God's days were like a man, when God was in Jesus on earth, look at verse 6. Job says, you seek out my iniquity and you search for my sin. But verse 6, when God became a man, God didn't come to seek and search for our sin. No. God came to seek and search for sinners. The astonishing thing is when God came to earth, a man, God didn't come seeking our sin. He didn't come with a torch looking for our guilt. He came looking for us. He came to seek and search for us. God was in Christ, not counting our sins against us, but actually God, the man, Jesus, went and hung on a cross. And God was absorbing, taking our sin off of us and putting it on himself. Jesus suffered Eight billion lives of Job. He took it upon himself. And verse 17, Job says, You renew your witnesses against me. You increase your vexation against me. You bring fresh troops against me. Well, I can't think of that being more true than when Jesus Christ hung on that cross. God brought all the horrors of all suffering on Jesus' head. God took our suffering. And you talk to me in verse 20. Look, look at what Job says in verse 20. Are not my days few? What? Let me tell you about few days. Jesus lived to be about 35. Almost all of us will live longer than Jesus did. Talk about few days. Talk about darkness. Talk about darkness. Look at verse, verse 20. Are my days not few? Cease. Leave me alone that I might find a little cheer. Leave me alone. Think of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God. Why have you left me alone? He took our place. It's so obvious. God's answer was to come and take Job's place. Look at verse 21. Before I go, I shall not return to the land of darkness, deep shadow, the land of gloom, like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick of... Think of Jesus hanging, left alone by God in utter darkness. The whole land went dark in the middle of the day. At least Job usually had sunshine, you know. Jesus didn't even have that. He hung there in the middle of the day, in darkness. And then he died and went to the place of dead. Look again. God answered Job's prayer emphatically in history by becoming a man and undergoing everything 
Job went through. Jesus is God's answer. In Jesus, God entered our world of pain. In Jesus, God took our world of pain. So whatever you think about God, whatever you think about God, you can't say God doesn't answer. And you can't say God doesn't care. But now hold on. Dwayne, I guessed, <laughs> I, guess, I know you now, I guessed you were going to say that Jesus is the answer. I get it. Well, at least Christianity has an answer. You know, that's a good thing. But how does this help me now, Dwayne? Jesus is the answer. I get it. But how does this help me now? Well, let's close with these thoughts. Look closely. Let's go back. I said we'd go back to verse 1. Job, I hate my life. I want you to think about those words. What would you say if I said to you, you can't be a Christian until you reach this point. What would you say? See, Jesus said the same thing. In Luke 14, Jesus said, unless you hate your life, you can't be my disciple. Isn't that a surprise? See, the fact of the matter is, until you come to the point like Job, where you let it all go, where your life is no longer precious to you. You surrender it all. Until you come to that point, you're never going to find what God gives you. Because the fact is, when you do hate your life, when you let it all go, guess what happens? You find life, real life. You discover true life. This is how the Bible puts it. For you have died. See that? You've died. You've said goodbye. You've died. Your life is hidden. Can't see it. It's hidden. With Christ in God. In God. When Christ who is your life. When Dwayne kisses Dwayne goodbye, I get a new life. And my life is Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then, not till then, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now Jesus Christ is your life. How does this help me in suffering? Well, it's easy. Think. I'm down here. And I'm suffering. And things are going wrong. And it hurts. But guess what? This is not my life. My life is with Christ up there, untouchable. My life is hid with Christ in God. I mean, you don't get stronger words than that. In God. And as I suffer here, I know that the real me can't suffer. You, you, you can't touch it. It's beyond suffering. And one day, my life will appear. One day, my life will appear when Christ appears. If this life means so much to you, you're going to be vulnerable to suffering. If this life is all you have, well, then when you suffer, you'll be inconsolable. When you suffer, you'll, hey, 
You're touching the only thing I have. Suffering is a disaster. But when you die to self, guess what happens? You find a new you, a new life, which suffering can't touch. Nothing can touch you. Your real life is untouchable. Well, you still suffer. But suffering is an annoying inconvenience on the way to glory. And when Jesus appears, you will appear to the real you, the true you, the permanent you, the you you love, the you that will last forever. I hate my life, but I love my life in Jesus Christ. Well, think about those things. Uh, if you do want to ask questions, very hard online. We've got this course, Life, coming up. That's a great opportunity to bring all your hairy questions. We love questions and we'll deal with some of them. So Life starts next week. Go to the website. You can check it out there. You can register online, etc. But in the meantime, I'll close in prayer. Father, our constant struggle is to wean ourselves off this temporary suffering life. And it is suffering, ironically, that helps us. Helps us to look up, to do business with you, and to find the true life hid with Christ. He died. He suffered. He went to the place of the dead. He took our suffering and rose again so that we may have a new life with him forever. Give this to us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.